Well, good morning. So we are on our second week of, of our Advent series, uh, which we're calling uh, Waiting with Purpose, right? So part of the Advent is, is waiting for our Lord and Savior, right? So that's, that's the next thing up on our, our prophetic calendar is the return of the Lord, right? So he came, he lived. We've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The gospel has gone forth, right? And it is continuing to, to change lives, right? The kingdom is still advancing. There's all these wonderful things that are happening. So we, the Bible says we eagerly await the return of our King and our Messiah. And so last week, uh, Samuel Cho, United States Navy chaplain on active duty, gave us a, a great word on, on being thankful, being grateful. He called it a posture, right? So it's, like, it's just a life attitude, right, where this is how Christianity looks. And what we're going to speak about today is being content, which I think is very married to the idea of being grateful and thankful, is being content, right? Because these two ideas, it's nuanced, but they're very uh, married together. So what we're going to do is we're going to start, if you have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen as well, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read three verses uh, from Philippians. But first, we kind of have to set up the story of what Paul's talking about. So it's always a dangerous game to take a verse and kind of cherry-pick a verse and then start talking about it, right? Because uh, when I was in Bible college, one of the things, uh, a favorite quote of mine was that, well, you can make the text say anything you want if you torture it long enough. I was like, I like this idea. Uh, Of course, it was meant to be a warning for watching out for false teachers. But I was like, huh, yes, I can. I can. I can twist this thing around. So what's happening here at the end of Philippians, as Paul's writing the church, the Philippian church actually had done something really amazing. You find this a little bit later on, is that uh, Paul had, had, was ministering in Macedonia, and he had, he had some financial needs. And you come to find out that the Philippian church was the only church that was giving to Paul. He's like, he was struggling. And finally, this, this, small, uh, this small church was meeting the needs of Paul. And so this is where our text picks up at in verse 10. We're going to read through 13. It'll be up on the screen here. It says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, you have revived your concern for me. So they had stopped giving to Paul. And now they're starting to give again. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any, in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now this is, is, is fascinating. We're gonna, this is our, our text for today. We're going to dive in to what Paul has discovered the secret to being content is. Now, Chris, the next slide says on here, I put... Uh, fundamentals first. Now, when I was praying and preparing for this week, and I talked to Sam a couple weeks ago, because I was like, all right, you're talking about being grateful and thankful. What are you talking about so I don't steal all your verses or, or you steal all my verses? Because I think these things, like I said, they're, they're very related. And then I started meditating on this idea that this is Christianity 101, right? Being thankful. And being grateful and loving your enemies. And we have all these things that we would consider, this is what a Christian is. And then I started thinking, well, what is a Christian not? Do you like that English? What is, 
what is a Christian not? Or what does not a Christian look like? So I started thinking about the opposite. And then I started thinking, like, what do, what do normal Christians do? And, and what do people who think they're Christians do? And, I, you know, so I started trying to, like, weigh all this out. And I started thinking, like, well, a real Christian who, if I, when I know a real Christian, is I know they're a Christian based on what they do. They love people, right? They, they, they take care of people. They put themselves second. They put other people first. Right? It's, it's this idea they're always thankful, they're always helpful, they're always grateful. You, you know these kind of people, right? And then well, somehow in our, in our modern church, and I think it's not only true of us here, but it's just, well, let's just say the North American church that we're a part of, is Christianity now becomes this heady exercise where the average Christian debating um, when does the rapture happen, right? Like, is it... Is it pre or post? Is how much free will does man really have? How much does God predetermine things? We argue and we talk about all these heady things, and yet we're not taking care of the orphans and the widows. So when Christ comes back, do you think he, we're going to get a theology test, and then he judges us based upon the finer points of Scripture we've been debating? Or does the Scripture actually teach us? He's like, I came back, he says, I had no food and you didn't feed me. I had no clothes and you didn't clothe me. I had no water and you didn't give me a drink. So we see that when Jesus thinks about how he's going to look at Christianity, it's like, what are you doing to your fellow man? How are you living your life? That's great that you can explain four different views of the tribulation, right? But you didn't lift your hand to feed a, a, a hungry brother. You see what's happening here? That's why we put on here fundamentals first. Like we have to get back as a church, as, as Christians, is first things first. Christianity is a way of life. We are following a teacher, a rabbi. And he's, ta- he's teaching us through his word how to live and what this means. And I, I mean, it, it literally is one of the great passions of my life is to read the word and understand it. And I like geeking out on the weird things. Like I, but at the end of the day, understanding this doesn't put clothes on someone's back. Right? It doesn't help the orphan. and It doesn't help the widow. The Bible says that true religion before God is to take care of orphans and widows. I mean, if you want to know where God's heart is at, it is helping the needy, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the sick, the abandoned, those that society walks away from. That's where Christ gravitates to. And so today as we talk about being content, just please hear my heart. This is a Christian foundation. This is fundamental to being a Christian. If you get this wrong, you're going to struggle in a lot of areas. You're going to struggle in your faith, your prayer life. You're going to struggle. It, you're going to see it, it, it ultimately leads us in a bad area. Okay. Let's look at that next slide. We have another scripture I want to read. This comes also from the Apostle Paul. It's to Timothy. It's found in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want a memory verse, this is a great memory verse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and have pierced themselves, themselves with many pangs. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I, I put in bold here, 
these two ideas of, of contentment. If you, the Bible teaches us that if you have food and clothes, this is the foundation for being content. You have your basic necessities met. Now, there's also something interesting we can see out of this is that apart from this basic contentment, that he's, he's marrying this idea of desiring to be rich, right? The desire for money. That when we're not content with these basic things is we can actually start to creep into wanting more, right? We're going to talk about this because not all growth is bad, but we see here it starts, right? A seed has been planted. Those that desire to become rich. Now, the scripture, uh, actually, Chris, go ahead. I think I wrote the point out on the next one. Sorry. This contentment helps you fight against the love of money and possessions, right? So it's the idea of learning to be content on a basic fundamental level. Now, I did put a little caveat in my notes that I'm reading from here is, because this will uh, be a question ultimately, is like, well, does God have a problem with me having money or getting ahead or getting promoted or having more than enough? And the answer is no, right? Because we see throughout scripture, like this whole spectrum, right? Was Abraham rich, yes or no? Yes, the Bible says he was very wealthy. Had cattle and lands and all sorts of things. Was David wealthy? That's right, he was wealthy, right? Was Jesus wealthy? No. Not in the way we think of wealth. You're exactly right. Right? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Right? So we so we see we have the whole spectrum here, right? So God is not against wealth, but he's against wealth having us. Right? If you don't have enough money to meet your needs, we're going to talk about this, is you can still be content while putting in applications to get a better job to pay your bills, right? The Bible says if you don't work, you won't eat, right? Proverbs teaches us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, right? There's nothing wrong with putting money away for retirement. Matter of fact, I would argue that the Bible says that you should be responsible with your finances, and that we should be seeking financial independence. So being content... If you find yourself with nothing, you're not wrong for trying to seek your way out, right? If your body is broken and you're sick, you can still be content while going to a doctor to be healed. You see what I'm saying here? So contentment is not married to the idea of you are surrendering to the K-Sarah-Sarah mentality. Whatever will be, will be. No, you need to do something, right? But you can still be content. When you're hungry, you should be seeking food, but you can be content. Amen? All right, so what does this mean? So here is my definition on the screen, that contentment is your current attitude about your present situation. This is my definition. I didn't make this up. I didn't steal this. If I stole this, this is a complete accident. 90% of the rest of the things you'll hear have been stolen from the me. But I was thinking about this. Is contentment is your current attitude about your present situation. It's So that's how you can be content when you know it's broken. When you don't have enough. Because Paul says when we first read that Philippians uh, verse. That he says I have found the secret to having a lot and a little. I found the secret to being hungry and having plenty of food. I can be content is because I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Did you see that? He said the secret to contentment is knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when he was out in the desert, or he's shipwrecked, and he's on the island, and he has no food, 
He's content. You know why? Because he has Christ. He can do all things. He knows I can go through this. And that if I die, I'm with the Lord. And if I live, the Lord has provided for me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You see what kind of attitude? You can't stop a man or a woman with that kind of attitude. Right? Things aren't going your way. You don't have what you think you need. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul has lots of little. He knows it doesn't matter to him. Like both ends of these wild spectrum is the one constant in his life is Jesus Christ. That's the secret to contentment. Is him. Amen? That is the secret. So, a question I have for you then is, so how can we be content while in hunger and we're completely poor and broken? We have Christ, but when we say these things, like this is actually a fact, is a fact when it's only. But let's be honest, when the rubber meets the road, when you haven't eaten by choice for a couple days, how comforting is it to say, brother, you can do all things through Christ? Does that help you right there? Maybe. If anything, it's going to be punched in the mouth. Right? It's because when you're at the lowest of the low and people start preaching to you, how does that make you feel? I mean, it honestly makes me angry. When I'm in sin or I'm angry about something and then my wife tries to encourage me at the moment, uh, I'll call it the moment of my passion when I'm just, I'm just like, woman, please don't. Talk to me right now about this. When you're a pastor, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> like, that's just making it worse. Right? But once I calm down, and, and over 20 years of being married now, when she comes up to me, she knows, like, okay, I'm going to let this guy be a knucklehead for a couple minutes. <laughs> and then she'll see, like, the glaze look leave my eyes. And she's like, honey, you know, you should have prayed, you should have done this. Then I can receive it. Now, well, the point is, is when we're, it's easy to be content when everything is going well. But a true Christian can be content on both ends of these extremes without affliction. And the truth of the matter is, if we found ourselves like Paul, where you don't have food, you don't have a house, and you, you're missing basic necessities, that's, that's when we find out if we're real Christians or not. Where does the complaining come? What do we do about these things? So, what I thought I would do today, I think, would be most helpful, um, is to kind of, I wanted to. I, I, let's, I'll just say what it is. I, I got four points. I, I don't like points preaching, but this is... I got four points, I think, that will help you cultivate um, contentment. Okay? And the first is going to be uh, what Sam talked about last week, is gratitude. Now, Sam pointed out this idea that um, gratitude and thankfulness is a posture. It's a way of life. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this. It says that give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The reason why he framed it like that, like it this posture, this, like I said, this attitude is that who you are should be grateful. Is that if you want to know one thing that's God's will, is for you to just be grateful in all circumstances. It doesn't say when all things are going well. It doesn't say when all your bills are paid, your body works perfectly, or all your relationships are healthy. He tells us in all circumstances. And it's hard to say thanks to God when you're being evicted and you can't put food in your refrigerator and you're fighting with your spouse or you're estranged from your kids. You're suffering physical abuse from somebody or verbal abuse. Or your heart's broken. 
How do you give thanks in the wilderness? But the Bible says that it's the will of God that you would learn to give thanks in all circumstances. Right? And this is going to start marrying this idea of, of like, oh, that's true contentment in Christ. Because my heart can be breaking and my body can be broken and I'm a wreck. But I can still stop and acknowledge the one. Amen? Amen. He's the one that will be with you in your lows and your highs. The one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you have to start thinking about these things. People miss it. They say, well, you should just give thanks for these circumstances. Oh, you know, hey, if that's your theology, that's fine. You know, I, you know, I personally don't thank God for COVID. And he's kind of, hey, this, is my, this is my viewpoint of the world. I'm not trying to be snarky or funny. And some people say, oh, thank God I got cancer because I don't know. It's like, Please, I don't want to learn those lessons through cancer. I don't. I'd rather learn them apart from but what I can thank God for is that he'll, if, even if I do find myself in a broken area, he's never left me for sake. He's with me to the very end. The Bible says he knows my laying down and my sitting up. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He says, behold, there's not a word on my tongue that he doesn't know before I even speak it. That I live and exist by his very will. That he spoke these things into existence. That gives me great comfort. Amen? And so you can be, you can have gratitude in all things. Now we have a picture. I wanted to say just briefly, is Israel. I, I think so. Normally at, at, at Pillar we go through whole books of the Bible, right? So we like we just got done going through uh, what book? John. John, right? So we, it took a whole year to went through the book of John. And the reason why it's good to preach like that, I think, is because it makes you talk about tough things that are in the Bible. Like when you do, this message is what we call a topical, right? So we have a topic, and we pull some scriptures, and we, we, we set it up like a legal defense. This is why you should be doing this. And that's good. I like this kind of preaching. But when you go through a whole book, you're forced to confront things that maybe you don't want to talk about, right? It's not always good. To, it's not always great preaching to talk about some of these difficult topics. And then we also get better biblical theology because we're looking at the big scope. Now, when we think about being content, the reason I wanted to bring up Israel is because this is a big bone of contention with God, uh, is how the Israels responded in, in the Bible with what we would call grumbling. Right? So if you know the story, Israel uh, is in Egypt and they're enslaved. And the Bible says their taskmasters are, are just getting after them. They're making life tougher and tougher and tougher. And so he, he sends Moses. And you guys remember Moses and his brother? Aaron, Moses, and Aaron going there. And so they're trying to convince Pharaoh to let Israel out. And does this make life better or worse for the Israelites? Worse. Worse. It keeps getting worse. So you know how the story goes. So finally, they're free. And they cross the Red Sea, and they're in the desert. God drowns the Egyptian army. It's this amazing rescue. And then he's giving them this promise that I'm taking you to where? The promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey, right? All this wonderful land. It's like, I'm taking you there. So what was Israel's problem? Why did they circle the desert all those years and they stuck? They They grumbled against God. They were ungrateful. They were unthankful. They didn't believe him. It's like, well, God rains down bread from heaven, manna. It's like, well, in Egypt we had leeks and onions and lamb, meat, right? Like, there was just nothing good after these guys, right? And then so God sends them quail, right? So all these birds fall out of the sky, so much full. Like they were just 
puking on themselves. Like, it's a pretty graphic scene. It's like, you want meat? And you just stuff some full of meat. It's like, you know, you, you ungrateful people. In Romans, in chapter 1, it says that they didn't acknowledge him as creator, neither were they thankful. Right? Like, there's a ton of scripture where it says, like, this idea of being ungrateful and unthankful, if you want to make God angry, this is going to be at the top of this list. Amen? Alright, so I don't need to preach Sam's message. You can go back. It's online at PillarOceanside.com. There is a paywall. No. Pay the, no okay, there's not. <laughs> All the messages for you on there. Uh, you can listen to it. It's good. So, Psalm 37, 16 says this. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many who are wicked. If you're having a hard time, my last thought on gratitude is sometimes it's like, oh, it's easy to preach um, from up there when you have all your needs met. But the scripture really does say, it's like, look, your life is ultimately better to be righteous with a little than to be wicked with a lot. And you have to trust that. Uh, abundance does not equal happiness. And you can see how many, I mean, we all know these Hollywood stories of people that have everything, and they're not happy. They're just not happy. I look back um, as a former enlisted guy, and uh, so obviously I went back to college. I graduated degree now. Ultimately, I always always tell people go back to school. <laughs> if you haven't gone to college, college, you will make a lot more money. Trust me on this one. I've lived the gamut of a lot and a little several times. Right? Uh, as you can imagine, you don't make a lot in the military in the '90s, enlisted or now. Uh, but when you get out, you have a high school diploma. My wife and I were learned very quickly that. You're not going to make a lot of money in San Diego. <laughs> the early 2000s. I was like, I'm full of faith. And I'm very optimistic. And I, 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 by nature, I think things are going to turn out. Right? You can take everything I have and put me in underwear and a t-shirt and drop me off in any city. I have a feeling it's going to work out. That's just who I am by nature. It may not. But life has just never been able to crush me hard enough. So I get out of the military with a high school diploma. And I think I'm the man. And guess what? I was not the man. <laughs> And life just kicked me, kicked me, kicked me. You, you couldn't get out of your job, so I had to go to community college and go back to college. And, you know, same thing. You keep, I was like, oh, I better get as much education as I can for the sole purpose of I really do get paid for having a degree and these kind of things. And the point is, is not from my, my personal testimony, is I've had a little and I've had a lot. I've had cars repossessed. I've lived in dirty apartments, duplexes, and I've lived in nice homes. I've had all these things. And one thing I will tell you is fond memories of my life most of them are when I didn't have a lot. I look back and I think of like things. Because when I had a little, boy, we really relied on the Lord like you would not believe. I would, my prayers, like I would, on my knees every night, reading the scriptures and giving and how I approached life. It seems that abundance always brought me further from the Lord. I had to learn these things. It's free for whatever it's worth. So when the scripture says, better is a little with the unrighteous than the abundance of many wicked. Is money and things has a way of moving us away, uh, uh, moving us away of our reliance on the Lord. Amen. That when I had money in my bank account, my job paid me well, and I had a remarkable skill where people wanted to hire me. And all of a sudden, this fear of if I lose my job, I know I'll be hired. Right? All these things, like as you get older, they shift like that. But when I was younger, I was like, if I lose this job, it may take me six months to find a job because who's going to hire me? Right? How can I make this kind of money? So I relied on the Lord. Um, and I think that's part of being content. Amen? Amen? That's a good place to be. Okay. The next point. 
um, is self-denial or deny self. It's to develop contentment as you have to learn to deny yourself. Now the scripture teaches us a lot of things about self-denial, like, like fasting. As a Christian, if you are not a baby Christian, fasting should be a part of your life. This is a very helpful spiritual discipline that we find in the Bible. Now, I say that to you, being this is one of my weakest disciplines. Fasting for about 24 hours is very, very easy for me. I don't say that as a flex. <laughs> 24 hours, please. If you think you fast 28 hours, though, I'm a trainer. Right? 24 hours, my body. After 24 hours, I lose all sense of uh, what's going on. Like, I, I become a slave to my, my flesh. Like, if I try to do it three days. And honestly, six years ago, 24 hours was almost an impossible feat. When I first got, when I first got saved, I didn't broke my Christian house, and uh, I think I told most of you know this, like the navigators were on the Air Force Base. And, so, and this one navigator that was hunting me down like, saw me in the crosshairs. And so I get saved, and like, not having a Christian background, like, so I open up the Bible, of course you start in Genesis, you get about 11 chapters in, you abandon that plan, right? And then you start looking at other places, and I started reading about fasting. All these things. Like, oh, this must be something Christians do. That's fair enough, right? And so what is fasting? Well, just, I mean, this is pre-internet. There's no Google. I didn't have a cell phone. So like, you figure out. So, so I ask a guy at work who's as a big knucklehead as I am. What's fasting? Bro, that means you don't eat for the Lord. Okay. How long? He's like, I don't know, like a week or 40 days. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the answer I got. I was like, and I was like, this pleases God. And I remember this conversation with a guy's name was Ben. I never knew what happened to this guy. I hope he's still a Christian. And he's like, yeah, I think this is one of the ways we make God happy. Yeah. Now I'm getting there, like I said, they're teaching me, but they can't get me quick enough, right? Because I'm devouring the words. So on a Friday night, I got home from work. And I didn't have any money anyway, so this worked out. And I'm like, okay, this is great. And so I worked all day. I was an F-16 guy. You know, worked on the flight line all day. Come home. And, and keep in mind, like, you may still think I'm getting soft now, but, you know, back in 95, 96, I was 130 pounds, 6 foot, 130 pounds. Like, you know what that looks like, right? You've seen my son. Yeah, it's just like, there's, no, there's hardly any meat on the bones anyway, so my body needs a lot of calories. And my stomach's making these noises, and I'm like, I can't do this. So, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I had no money. I, I was one of those idiots. I had a brand new Toyota Tacoma 4x4 truck, and had no money for groceries. Uh, my, I hadn't met my wife yet, so these things got squared away much later. I ain't telling you that I was that guy, because those guys were worse. I was, apparently, I was that guy. Gas is 80 cents a gallon, so what's up? So, um, so what did I do? So I had like $6 in my account. So I went to the grocery store. It's not an exaggeration. All I could buy, I bought a tube of cookie dough and a jar of pickles. And I remember going back to the apartment I was, I was renting, and I was like, man, I really can't eat. I, for 18 hours, like my body is like breaking down this bad. My flesh was screaming. I sat on the kitchen floor and ate a jar of pickles and a tube of cookies. Now, I'm being dead serious. After I got about halfway through it, I had tears running down my eyes. I got, I have failed you. I'm a loser. You don't know what being a loser is until you reek of dill pickle juice. <laughs> I mean, friends, that's low. I mean, that's really low. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I've been safe for like three weeks. I'm trying to figure this out. I was like, I don't like I don't know how to say it. I don't like myself. Anyways, it's funny, but it's one of those things is we all have to learn how to deny ourselves. That was part of my journey. Is like, we have to start somewhere. When's the last time you told yourself no? How can you learn contentment and thankfulness is like anything you want, whatever your eyes see, you get. 
And I'm not saying you tell yourself no is because the finances aren't there, right? It's one thing to say is like, um, I would love, I want, a, you know what I want is a steam room. This is true. And I was like, I told a lot of people this, because I was like, you know what I really want? I would love to have a steam room. I'd love to go into like a sauna and whatnot. So it sounds really cool. And she's looking at me, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, it's never going to happen. I don't have the money for a sauna. So it's one thing, I'm denying, I can say, oh, I'm denying myself this sauna. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, friends, there's no sauna money in the budget. That's not self-denial, right? But what is self-denial is maybe there is something I want, and I always buy it. My wife, if she was here, and she left. It's a good time. I love buying guitar. I love buying Bibles for myself. There's, I have all these weird things that I like to purchase. I see them like, ooh, I love them. Well, I have the money for these things, but how about... How about no? Because that's when you just told yourself no. So be grateful, be content with what you have. Amen? Amen? And so I would say it's the same thing as start. I, I, uh, uh, let's show the scripture. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus teaches us. He says, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'm just going to leave this point where it's at. I, I would ask you to reflect on your life and just see. It's like, really think, do you tell yourself no? For the sake of the Lord, for the sake of discipline, right? All things are lawful, the Bible says, but not all things are helpful. You should do a spiritual inventory and see where you need to start denying yourself. See, the problem is when we say yes to ourselves all the time, it becomes what we have is just never good enough. It's hard to be content when you always get something. I'll tell you something, another story about me that broke my heart. It made me see me for who I am. This was much later. Actually, it was since I've been here at Pillar. I saw a video um, that was in India. It was taken in India. There was a young girl who got a guitar. Her dad got a guitar. And you find out that the dad had to save up for like nine months to buy this guitar. This guitar was not a nice guitar. I'm looking at it like, that's kind of a junker. I remember watching the video thing. I was like, oh. And the girl gets the guitar. And the whole family is weeping. The girl is weeping. She's arms around dad. And you realize the sacrifice that this man had to do to buy this guitar. And that this, all this little girl wanted was this acoustic guitar. She didn't care what guitar it was. She wanted no guitar. Makes me want to cry thinking about it. Because if you looked over my shoulder, there's 20 guitars. Right? And I have to fall for the guitar. I wouldn't even think twice about it. I would love to do these things. And then I started thinking, it's like, well, why don't you do these kind of things? Right? And then it just hits me because it's like, yeah, of course I do. And then the Holy Spirit's like, well, why are you? Because there's all sorts of people that need all sorts of things, and you can be such a great blessing. But boy, Michael, you sure do love yourself, don't you? I feel bad. And I just realized that all the things that I have, I mean, most of the world would look at me and think, boy, that guy's got it made. And I do have it made. I don't want for anything. And I just realized that Christianity is not about having all that stuff. It's about giving that little girl a guitar and making her sacrifice that that man did to be able to give that to his daughter. So I think sometimes we're a victim because we live and I'm really not a fan of people that bad on, obviously this is a military church, right? Obviously we love our country and we support it. I think America gets a really bad rap. Uh, one thing about uh, my, my current job, I'm an elder here, but I, I, I don't take a paycheck with here, but I, pre-COVID, I travel the world. I spend a lot of time in China and Asian countries, South America, and, and Canada. We have it good. 
you know, I mean, it's easy to dog what we got going on. It's like, oh, healthcare, this, and all that kind of stuff. But I've seen, even up in Canada, I've seen how these things work. Yeah, really, really, really have to And I think sometimes we become a victim of it because we are not content and we grumble and we want and we consume and our eyes do all these things. And nobody's lived like us in the last hundred years is a fluke on the, on the human existence. Right? Is most people's existence is struggling. They, they work with their hands <laughs> and there's not enough. I don't know. I don't want to bag it too much, but it's... Uh, just learn the self-denial, to think about what you truly have. You know, it sounds so cliche. Did anyone else grow up where it's like, oh, finish your dinner because you're starving in Africa? That was a real thing when I was growing up, right? My parents did not care about Africa, and they didn't even know people were starving, but they were convincing me to finish my, my food. But there is a, I, honestly, also true, you finishing your food doesn't help feed a child in Africa, right? It's broken logic. It's a, <laughs> I haven't gone to college yet, so I couldn't tell them what this logic. Don't feed it to me, it's end of the I could have argued this much better. But it is the idea that, boy, we do have so much, and there's people that don't have enough. And as Christians, what are we going to do about it? It's not enough to acknowledge it. True Christianity is doing something about it. Amen? So if you deny yourself and then make sure that you give it to somebody else, we're going to talk about that in a minute. It would have been smart if I would have put these two points in order, but apparently I'm not that smart. So let's go to the next point. The scripture teaches us that we should seek the kingdom. Let's read Matthew 6.25-33, which 6.33 is, is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. But he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, as life not more than food, your body not more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So a way to develop contentment is really is to seek the kingdom of God. God gives us this great promise. He's like, look, I know you need these things. I know you need clothes. I know you need food. Everybody needs these things. There's nothing that you need that everybody else doesn't need. After all, we're biological creatures, right? Do we all need love, yes. affection, food, clothing, guitars, guitars? Jerry does, but entertainment. Right? We all have things. We have passions. We have hobbies. God knows we're created to be like this, right? We're communal creatures. And if we really trust that He knows that, He says, "Look, I'd be ha- I'm happy to give all this out. Just seek My kingdom first." Like, it's tough to read this because I have this thing all memorized in King James, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. He says that. Like, this is, if you had to reprioritize your life, like, you put this first. And what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? You have to learn these things. And, and I always get trouble for preaching too long, so I won't tell you what it means to seek the kingdom of God. <laughs> I want you to think about that, though. How, am I seek, how do you seek the kingdom? 
That's a great question to ask because that would cause you to do some research. Because if you're really looking to be provided for the Lord, I would argue if you seek the kingdom first, this is a great promise to stand on. Amen? Okay. Let's go to our last point, which ties to uh, self-denial, but it's meet the needs of others. To develop, uh, in my life, how I've developed contentment is to be active in meeting the needs of others. Look at Romans 12, 13. It says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, one way to get your eyes off yourself is to put them on someone else. That sounds very easy. But when you start getting involved with the needs of others, you're going to find out how blessed you really are. And the scripture talks, uh, I'm not going to pull it up, but there's a church. Uh, it, it, so this happened in Acts. The Jerusalem church just starts failing immediately financially. Right? So they, at first, it's all, everyone's really cool. They sold all their possessions. They had everything in common. Everyone loves those scriptures. But you later find out that the Jerusalem church was broke. And they're needy. So I don't know what that means, but... Paul is going around, he's taking up an offering for the church of Jerusalem. And he's talking to a larger church, and he's like, hey, all these small churches have given abundantly to help the saints in Jerusalem. He you guys have. You have all this money involved in it, so it's like, you could be doing something major there. Paul says, look, I'm not giving this to you as a command, but he goes, you realize that it's better to give than to receive. You realize that by not getting involved in giving, you're really hurting yourself. And that God really doesn't care about how much you give. It's the heart behind what you give. Right? It's the generosity of the gift. Right? So you've heard of the two widows once. Has everyone heard about that? Right? So somebody that has $10, a $2 gift is a lot more generous than a billionaire who gives a million dollars. Hopefully my math just worked out. I think it's going to work out in my favor. But you get the idea, right? It's that in Christianity, it's, it's, it's not about... It's not about the commas, or how many zeros are on it. It's about the generous heart behind it. It's about the, how sacrificial that gift is. And so the scripture exhorts us, it says, contribute to the needs. Now let me ask you, when's the last time you contributed to the needs of the saints? Really, have you worked for this team? I'm guilty too, friends. Like these, these are Christian disciplines. That's why we, we set up at the front end. These are fundamentals. These are things we have to do. And I'm telling you, once you see the need of people around you, all of a sudden, my situation starts to look pretty good. I'm a lot more content. So, back to my guitar story, which I'm sure you guys are sick of. I can tell you more Air Force stories, which I'll really get you killed, because, as we know, the Air Force is the greatest branch. <laughs> I mean, how can you not love a branch that's not even 100 years old yet? Come on. Okay, but, so back to my guitar story. So one thing, the reason why I like guitars so much is, it's a long psychological problem. My father owned a music store. So I grew up around instruments, right? So he actually started this problem. But you may not know this, but every guitar sounds different. Dance and combos. And I really do, the Lord's my witness, do try to think about what sounds best at church. Right? Like, oh, this would be nice. I like this. And so I'm always like trying to experiment with different things. Hey, this works, this doesn't work. Which causes me to acquire lots of things and I sell them. And I'm always dissatisfied. I'm always finding a way to critique what I'm doing. And then I realize the best player is like, it doesn't matter. They get the punch. Right? It's not about what you have, it's about how good you are on that instrument. I think any musician will tell you that. 
You can have the nicest guitar in the world, but if you play like me, it's going to be lost on anyone that that's worth any money at all. But you give an accomplished musician an instrument, and it can be made for a child. You bought at Walmart, and they're going to kill them. Right? It's just like, they're going to sound like them. And so I started thinking about that, and I was like, man, how ungrateful am I that I own all this expensive stuff, and I find a way to complain and say it's not good. You're like, well, why are you telling another guitar story about meeting the needs of others? Because I'll be honest with you that if I gave my stuff away to anybody else, this is top tier stuff. And they would use it and love it and be grateful. And I'm not saying I'm awesome like that. It's like I had just gotten to the point where I was so ungrateful, I'm always looking for the next best thing. Why? Because at the end of the day, I'm not practicing and I don't know better. <laughs> it's lost on anybody. My wife was tells me this. I was like, I'll get a new guitar. I'm like, is this color cool? Do I look good for this? And she's like, She's like, nobody cares. He's like, no one's, he goes to church, no one's looking at you. And if they are, we have another problem. But part of being a guitar player is trying to look cool. You have to sing around your body, at least I think so. Anyway, I'm just realizing, it's like, I had just become this ungrateful human. How terrible. So I'd meet the needs of others by giving it away. Look at this. Romans 12.20 says, not only should we meet the needs of the saints, it says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Christianity is not about just only looking after us. It's everybody. Friends, we are, the Bible calls us the salt of this world for a reason. For this world. God so loved who? Does he love only the church? Is there any human being that was made that was not made in the image of God? No. We all have that divine spark. The Bible says that every living thing is because of God's spirit, his ruach, right? He had this living spirit. All these people live and exist is because who made them? Right? The Bible says that when we bless God with our mouth, this is James, it says that we curse man who's made King James says the similitude of God. In the same image of God, that's like having fresh water and salt water come out of the same fountain. Is that, is that water good for drinking anymore? No. no. Meet the needs of your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Right? If they ask for your coat, give them to them. Don't you walk a mile? Walk two miles. I'm asking you, I'm imploring you from the word of God. If you do these things and you get involved in the dregs of humanity, people that don't believe like you, that think like you do, that don't vote like you do, that don't look like you do, you're going to look at yourself and be like, you know what, I've got it pretty good. I'm getting involved in humanity right now. And that's where God wants you to be. That's how you're his hands and his feet. And when you go out there and you see a broken and dying world, I promise you, friends, contentment will blow up. And it doesn't matter where you're living or how you're doing. And you start realizing, I have this hope in Jesus. When you meet a human being, that's broken and has no hope, is destitute, rips your heart out. Because have you ever met someone like that and you think, boy, if you could just have the hope that I have, where like there's nothing, there's nothing worth living for. And then you and I, it's like, you think it's like, I have Christ. I've got so much to live for. I've got a wife who loves me. I've got kids. And people ask me, ask me, how do I be thankful? I'll tell you, go get involved with people. You'll be thankful real quick. Right? Because people are broken and they're messy. Okay, let's wrap this up. All four, I'm going to put them on the screen here for you if, if you take notes. These are what I would consider maybe a, a starting point of how to, to cultivate contentment. It's a Christian fundamental. 
Because it, it does, this is one of the things like my thankfulness, like Sam said, these things don't happen by themselves. Are human beings by nature thankful people? No. Are human beings by nature content people? No. We always want more, right? More, more, and I'm the same way. So we, if we start doing these things, if you stop and just like, like Sam was imploring us to, like the ten lepers, just turn and just say thank you. I love being grateful for once, right? Even if it's not all perfect. Denying yourself, seeking the kingdom. And I, I think, more importantly, meeting the needs of others, because that's when Jesus said when he returns, right? Did you clothe? Did you feed? Did you do these things? And I'll leave you with this final thought. Uh, we said at the beginning, this is found in Philippians 4.10, but Paul says, I have learned the secret to being content is that I can do all things through Christ. That is the secret. And you do well to meditate on that fact. To think about our heroes in the Bible. That if you read the book of Hebrews, it says that these, these men and women of faith, they just had their eyes fixed. It said they weren't of this world, right? It says this world wasn't worthy of them. And some some died, the Bible says some were sawn in half. You remember that? We've read this a couple weeks ago. And all these terrible things happened to them. Some people had miracles. Some people saw the dead raised. Some people saw this. But you know what? None of it was good enough because it wasn't taken care of, I should say, because their eyes were fixed on something greater. It didn't matter to them. And that's our contentment, is Christ. Amen? Amen. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I, I told you the story about me having nothing and all these things. Because now, 20 years removed, that doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Form me, it shaped me. But you know what? Did God forsake me? No. Am I still serving Christ in this day? Yes. Did I learn from it? Yes. Did my wife still love me? Yes. My kids still love me? Yes. And even if they didn't, have people recovered from all these things? Yes. So remember, contentment is your current attitude about your present situation. Will Christ see you through it, yes or no? Yes. Contentment has nothing to do with how pleasant this experience is going to be. But you can stop from all this. And realize I can do this. I can do all things through Christ. And all you have to do is make it till tomorrow. Right? Wake up tomorrow. And tomorrow, His mercies are new every day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your word. Amen. Would you uh, stand to your feet? We're, let's sing uh, a response song to the Lord and worship Him.